0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City,
1: this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up.
0: The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is
1: app. Absolutely ridiculous. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon. I survived Saint Patrick's Day, perhaps just just barely. Now you have to understand. St. Patrick's Day, my my mom, her third generation Irish, her her maiden name was Sheehan, so it was Ann Sheehan Wagner, and every Saint Patrick's Day. I mean I my mom passed about ten years ago, and I it's not a day that goes by that I don't think about her, but especially on St. Patrick's Day. Um, I always have to hoist a glass of um, Guinness and a Jameson's to to her, you know, to to her memory. So th- this weekend, I was thinking about this because over the weekend, Saturday evening, we, we went to a big St. Patrick's Day party, and there were about probably fifty, sixty, seventy people there, and everybody showed up dressed in, in green in one fashion or or another—green hats, you know, green outfits. Everybody was Irish for a day including a lot of people who I know were not Irish, but they were Irish for the day. Before we went to that party, my wife and I stopped off at a local watering hole, and, you know, we had an appetizer, and we each had a drink, and, you know, the, the place was just packed, and everybody was dressed, everybody was dressed in green, everybody was dressed for St. Patrick's Day. And then, of course, yesterday, if you if you want to see a look at, uh, have a look at some of my photos, family and extended family and friends on st patrick's day if you follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 now my stepdaughter she married into the campbell family and you don't get much more irish than the campbell family and every year there is a big party that they have at a local watering hole a matter of fact i have a picture i have a picture of us all gathered around yesterday morning at this local watering hole and there. There's my friend Colleen and her friend Colleen. It was kind of easy, you know. Who, which one is Colleen? Oh, they're both Colleen. And and there's my my buddy Jim and Nancy Campbell. And there's my son-in-law Darren there, and all sorts of friends. My brother and sister-in-law, um, Kenny and Ruthie. They're there. So we're all we're all there at this particular bar that we were at big st patrick's day party and again everybody at the st patrick's day party was was wearing green and not just at our table now like i say my mom was third generation irish so i mean i got a little bit of irish in me but there were there were african-american people and they were dressed in green with the hats and there were hispanic people and they were at the bar and they were dressed in green there was this woman who had this this um this Hispanic woman who had this just really knockout-looking uh, green wig that was on and stuff like that—it was just—it it was a melting pot of people having a lot of fun, and I thought, you know, that this is good and, and how great it is. But I was also thinking also about the whole concept of, of cultural appropriation. You know, when when we have the Cinco de Mayo coming up. You know, if if you were to, I'd say, if you are not Hispanic and you were to show up at a party and you're wearing a serape or you're wearing a sombrero or something like that, well, you, you better be prepared to lose your job because you are going to be singled out as somebody responsible for cultural appropriation. So I'm just and I can give you other examples as well of that. But it's kind of like, all right, St. Patrick's Day. Everybody gets to wear green. Everybody gets to pretend to be Irish. Everybody gets to wear the outlandish costumes. And we all embrace this. Why is it that you can do it on St. Patrick's Day and you can't do it on other particular ethnic holidays? Don't try to do that. Don't don't try to show up at a party, you know, wearing a sombrero if it's um, against Cinco de Mayo because you're going to be labeled, you know, a hater or something like that. And I bring this up because it was such a good time. Everywhere I went on St. Patrick's Day, everybody getting together, everybody saying we're Irish for a day. Well, why is it that you can do it on St. Patrick's Day but you can't do it on other holidays? And I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to do it on St. Patrick's Day. I am saying All right, maybe we're too sensitive about this stuff on some of the other ethnic holidays. Just food for thought. Couldn't every day, wouldn't you love to see every day be St. Patrick's Day? All right, when we return, I mentioned this on the program the other day. I thought it was interesting that when we were talking about ridership on the streetcar, the trolley, even as of last week, You know, the mayor was citing numbers. Hey, the ridership was big in November and December. thought it was interesting that the mayor wasn't talking about anything since then. Well, now we know why. We will discuss in just a moment. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: We are back. One final thought on Saint Patrick's Day, Gru, who is producing the show today and always. Okay, and again, if you want to see kind of my extended family and, and friends at our little Saint Patrick's Day get together yesterday at a local tavern, you can follow me at Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner620. But I know what I want for next Saint Patrick's Day. My stepdaughter's father in law, Jim, Jim Campbell. He he's there in the picture and he's wearing one of these Tam O'shanters, you know, the, the Irish hat. And I'm telling you. It looked good. It looked good on him. I'm not sure it would look good on me, but I, I I want one. I was thinking this this is what I want for next year. So if you check out that picture, the good-looking guy in the 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 Tam O'Shanter that hat, um, I want one of those for next year. No question about it. It just it just it screams class. It just absolutely does. All right. When, when they announced that the Democratic National Convention was coming to Milwaukee in 2020, there were, and I, look, I, as I said last week, I, I think this is, this is great news. There's just, there's no downside for Southeastern Wisconsin with a couple asterisks. One of the things, though, that's been talked about immediately is, all right, we have to expand the streetcar. You know, we're going to have all these delegates coming to Milwaukee. And, and so what we do is we, we need to run it up. We need to run it past Wisconsin Avenue. We run, need to have this completed. We need to have that completed. And the, the truth of the matter is there, there's not money to do that unless, uh, again, you're going to have the city do some substantial borrowing in these tax incremental districts to expand the streetcar. And one of my cautionary notes was, okay, the, the streetcar has been in operation for two months Before you rush to say we have to have this and we have to commit millions of dollars to expanding the streetcar, you have to, I think, understand and know how the streetcar is doing, because you, you wouldn't make an expenditure of millions and millions of dollars based on a one week event. Oh, we need to have it here by, you know, by by the summer of 2020, because that's how. A number of cities have gotten into big trouble over the Olympics. Their country gets the Olympics. It's put, you know, in certain cities and given countries. They spend millions and millions and millions of dollars building facilities for the Olympics. And then, you know, once, once it disappears... Once the Olympics leave, you've got these things that nobody's using. I mean, it is a recipe for disaster to make major capital structural improvements based on the fact that, oh, we're going to have a lot of people that are coming for one given week. So you you have to figure out what's going on. Well, I know look, I'm not a fan of the streetcar. There's no secret about that. But I will concede that the first two months, well, the numbers exceeded expectations. The November numbers were kind of inflated because you had a big opening weekend where you had a lot of a lot of different a lot of people just rode it for the novelty. But that being said, still the numbers are the numbers. You had about 76,000 people that rode the streetcar in November. You had about 76,000 that rode the streetcar in December. Now I thought actually that that's good and it's something to be proud of. But what I found interesting is we hadn't had any numbers coming out since December. And here you are, you have the mayor talking about things in March. Well, now we know why we weren't getting any numbers on ridership since December. January. Now, admittedly, and again, fair is fair. Just like I I think you have to take the early November numbers with a dose of skepticism because it was all the opening day stuff. January, it is the dead of winter. Um, Who... You would not expect enormous numbers of people to be outside waiting for a trolley in December. And the December numbers dropped off dramatically. The January numbers dropped off dramatically. November and December, 76,000 riders approximately. December or January, it dropped down to 49,000. So you had a substantial decrease in January. But again, I understand the last... Well, the first few weeks of January were relatively mild. You, you had, you know, bad weather kind of started in in late January. So I, I would expect that. I would imagine January and February would be the lowest turnout months period. So January, the numbers were 49,000. February, we don't know. Now, why do we not know? Because according to officials, they, they don't have the numbers. There was a glitch I I say that. That's not my word. That's what the officials are saying. There was a glitch which caused all the data regarding the ridership in February to disappear. And I don't think it is recoverable. So we've lost it. There's not somebody that sits on the trolleys and counts. You know, there's not actual somebody that sits there. They've got this like electronic eye that measures, and that's a little bit of an oversimplification. But it measures, you know, the number of people that gets on. It's apparently completely electronic, and there was something that went wrong with the system. So they say all the all the February data is gone. So we have no idea. Whether the pattern that started in January of a substantial drop from, um, again, November and December, whether that continued, whether we rebounded, we, we just don't know. They say they discovered numerous malfunctions of the APC system resulting in large blocks of missing data. All right, apparently the same thing is true in March where at least the first part of March, they have lost all the numbers as well. So we, we don't know, did ridership rebound in February? We don't know, did ridership rebound the first couple weeks in March? We, we just flat don't know because they, they haven't measured it. Alright, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, I, I understand that people are riding the streetcar and I, I don't think you can look, just like I said, I don't think you can look at one particular month, November or December, when it's new and say, oh, this is a huge success. I don't think you can look at January and say, oh, see, this is coming down to reality because it's January. I would expect January, February, March, I would expect that to be the the lowest months of usage. But now we don't know about February. That's apparently gone with the wind. January down dramatically. Don't know about what's going to happen in March because, again, they've lost this data. All right, here here is the issue. Should we, based on the first couple months of experience that we have and all the question marks that surround the numbers – Do we rush to pour millions of dollars more into expanding the streetcar system in anticipation of what's going to happen in the summer of 2020? Or do we want to put the brakes on this until we know what the real picture is? 414-799-1620. I have a theory we'll discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. We're back. Rue is producing the show. The audience substantially more skeptical than me. A lot of people aren't buying the explanation that it just happens to be the months where you know that ridership on the trolley has decreased dramatically. That that just happens to be when they start losing the numbers. Oh, we've had this glitch. You know, yeah, it was down dramatically in January and February. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not going to be that cynical. I I, I decline to be that cynical because the truth of the matter is ridership in February probably just fell off the cliff. That would be my guess, again, because the weather was so terrible in February. And my guess is it fell off the cliff. It is convenient that the data for the month that the ridership would probably be the lowest is now not available. But I, I think... The bigger picture is you don't want to be spending millions and millions and millions of dollars that you don't have to expand the trolley system until you know for sure that the thing is really, really going to be a success. And you certainly don't want to do it for a one time event. Oh, wouldn't it be great to have this here for the five days the Democrats are in town in July of 2020 and then they leave town and you're stuck with the white elephant. Okay, I knew this was going to happen. And if you are a regular listener to this program, you know that I'm somewhat agnostic when it comes to President Trump. I... I am not one of these since he was elected. I have not been one of these will never Trumpers that you know believes that he can do nothing right. That, that's that's just not true. Matter of fact, I think there are a number of successes that you have seen over the last couple years that the president has been president. I understand that some people just can't stand that. But that's the reality. Having said that. I also appreciate that there's times that I think the president is just flat out dead wrong. Picking the tariff war is an example of that. Using emergency powers to try to spend $5 billion that Congress wouldn't allot to to build the wall. Regardless of how you feel about a wall, I think the president is dead wrong about that. And I think everybody should be concerned about a power grab like that, not because is there a crisis at the border and, you know, should we have put Put up $5 billion for a wall in the first place, but rather because if Donald Trump gets to take money that Congress specifically decided not to allot to, again, further his wall because he says there's a crisis there, what happens if the next president, President Elizabeth Warren, says, "All right, you know, I believe that there is, gun violence is a crisis, and so despite the fact that Congress won't give me billions of dollars, I'm going to take billions of dollars and I'm going to use it, I don't know, to to launch my own brand of of gun control. I'm I'm just saying, it's a very dangerous precedent, and so I have criticized the president when I thought it appropriate. I also routinely criticized the president for his use of twitter and and he had some doozies over the weekend his thin-skinned nature and what what i call the, the punching down instead of just ignoring the fact that you know, you, you have people that really maybe nobody cares about that, you know, criticize you. And that kind of comes with the territory. He feels it's just necessary to pick all these various fights. And I think that's frankly distracting. And I understand there's some fans of the president who just absolutely love it. I I just love it that he's giving back and he's doing all this. And I love the fact that he's fighting. I t- To me, it's just a waste of energy. It's a waste of spirit. And I personally wish he wouldn't do it but that that's so i have a very conflicted view of of president trump i think it's fair to blame him when he goes off on some of his excesses but at the same time i think you need to give credit where credit is due and that is what differentiates me from some commentators and i appreciate that all right what happened we we know on friday in new zealand there was this horrible shooting at a church in christchurch which is a Uh, Let's let's say that's a town horrible shooting you had a white supremacist who walked into a church and just began shooting the guy filmed this apparently he was taking a video of this and this was all over the internet for a while Facebook scrambling to try to take that down. The guy was an avowed white supremacist. He had links to white supremacist manifestos. He was a major league hater and a major league nut job who had apparently planned this for quite a while. Well, predictably, predictably, what ended up happening is a number of people were saying, Well, all right, you, you know why this happened. And the reason, of course, this happened is, well, I'm looking at one story, for example, and, of course, the New York Times. It isn't complicated. Trump encourages violence. And the argument is essentially, all right, the man with the world's largest bully pulpit keeps encouraging violence and white nationalism. Lo and behold, white nationalist violence is on the rise. You have to work pretty hard to persuade yourself that it's just a coincidence, that's one of the columns that appeared over the weekend in the New York Times. Essentially, it's Trump's fault that you had some crazy white supremacist halfway around the world that decided he was going to walk into this church, into a, into a mosque, and engage in this incredibly appalling hate crime. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Is it fair... To blame the president, either directly or indirectly, for what happened over uh, last weekend. I mean, what is that fair? And is it fair to blame then the president when you have other examples? Like, for example, that what's going on in the Netherlands today, when there was a shooting on a tram. Um, at least the early reports su- suggest that that might be, you know, a form of terrorist fr- terrorism as well. Is it Trump's fault? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is our number. Let's start with Ryan and O'Connor Walk. Ryan, good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for
2: calling. Um, yeah, you know, I, I um I kind of follow whenever a news story like this comes up, obviously there's lots of angles, you know, you can you can follow. So I try to read as much on this stuff as possible, you know, going to different websites and mm-hmm. you know, different, you know, major news media, you know, all that kind of stuff. I haven't specifically seen anybody like, I mean, I haven't dug enough, and I'm sure I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but it's not like the most pervasive thing I'm, not, I'm seeing is not necessarily people blaming Trump. But I've seen people reporting on just the fact that this maniac that killed these people over there really liked Donald Trump. Like, he by name called out President Trump, who is our president. And said he really likes his ideas.
1: Well, well, here, here's what he said exactly. Matter of fact, I I have this. Okay, right. He had the 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 guy had this lengthy manifesto. You know that that they published. Um, And here's what it said about Trump. It said he considered Trump to be a I'm quote a symbol of renewed white identity and common purpose although he did admire the president's leadership style or policy making so he did write that he in his twisted mind considered trump to be a symbol of renewed white identity and common purpose
2: okay and, and is that that's noteworthy because this is a very news this is a i mean this is happening and so if if the president of the united states is called out in that manifesto as i think he was like the only actual person mentioned in it i think as a as a united states citizen it's worth just like hearing that I mean if we're gonna but I guess my my question
1: is what what does what does that mean if you have if you have Charles Manson you know after he follow after he commits all the murders that says that he was motivated by the Beatles song Helter Skelter does that mean the Beatles are responsible for what Manson did
2: no but we all but we all know about it and it was put out there um, you know and if some people want to draw the conclusion you know that that's the case. Well, I mean, people still bring that up today. Right. Um, the fact that the fact is the guy the guy said it. So in in repeating in repeating that you're not really saying Donald Trump is to blame. And I'm but like I said, I'm sure there are people who are saying that. I get that, but I right. just haven't seen oh. that. But so by repeating the fact that this guy wrote this in his manifesto, you're just stating.
1: A fact, well, well, okay, but, but, well, okay, Ryan, that. but so I mean, here, I me, mean, okay, I. I all right, I, I was consuming news all weekend, and there, there's a lot of people, particularly the, the anti, the hardcore anti-Trump crowd, who want to say that this is this is Trump's fault. I mean, uh, again, I'll. Let me read you the concluding paragraph in an opinion piece that appeared prominently in the New York Times. And and this isn't just one. This is sort of, I think, endemic what you see. It isn't very complicated. The man with the world's largest bully pulpit keeps encouraging violence and white nationalism. Lo and behold, white nationalist violence is on the rise. You have to work pretty hard to persuade yourself that that's just a big coincidence. To me, that is exactly like saying, gee, you had some crazy person some evil person who's listening to the Beatles music this is how he interprets it that he's in he thinks that Helter Skelter is encouraging a race war so he goes out and he starts killing white people hoping that black people are going to be um, blamed for it and that's what the whole Manson thing was about and Charles Manson's twisted mind and so is it do you blame the Beatles because that's how somebody interpreted this is it fair to blame Donald Trump because somebody halfway around the world said well and, and that's not the Sole motivating factor. If you read the manifesto, and it's—I I did it. I did. I read some of it, so you don't have to. But it's—it's—it is the ramblings of an evil, hateful person who undoubtedly had all sorts of different influences. And I guess I just think you know, you, fair is fair, and I think you can't. You, you. I get why people find the president to be off-putting or don't like his policies or or whatever, but this. Well, he is responsible because some psycho halfway around the world did this. I mean, where do you draw the line? All right, again, you had this shooting this morning in the Netherlands, and they're not announcing exactly what the motive is. Early thoughts are it's terrorism, but, but who knows? It could turn out to be something different. Um, you know, do you say, well, this guy must have been emboldened because of something that some other politician said? Um, that I think is the distinction that you have to have here. Um, let's see, here's a text. Jeff, this is from Chris. Why is it so challenging for people to hold those accountable who actually carry out these terrible acts? Why is it always blaming others who have nothing to do with it? Why can't we ask that question? Well, I think that's, that's the question that, that is, That's out there. And that's what you, you know, you have to say. All right. Can you say I think President Trump was insensitive with some of his remarks regarding things that happened in Virginia a year ago or whatever? Yeah, you you can certainly make that argument. But to say we've had this terrible tragedy that occurred and all right, you know, somebody somebody looks at Donald Trump and sees, oh, this is this white supremacist thing and he's emboldened by it. Well, that's that's. I think just an overreach. Here's Bill in Burlington who text. I really tried not to curse, but blaming President Trump for this tragedy is just vile. Not only do they want uh, Trump harassed by state and federal authorities in order to import, impeach him, but now every time something bad happens, they blame him for it. Uh, that's I guess I think that's the, the frustrating thing that you have the reporters now running saying, well, you know, do you, you're mentioning this manifesto, you know, are, is the president a white supremacist? Well, the president's not a white supremacist. Now, maybe you think that he's not been as, as quick to respond to certain things as he should be. And, and maybe you're right. But every time there is a crime that has occurred, I don't think you can blame the politicians because the criminal decides to act out in that fashion. Just saying. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. There is a saying in Hollywood that says, nobody knows anything. And what that means is, people might think they know stuff, and they might be sure they know stuff, but they really don't know anything. You don't know what's going to be a success. It. it I, I was reading a book about one of the the Hollywood moguls uh, a couple of years back, and it was kind of interesting because they were talking about a, a studio takeover, and there were foreign investors, and I want to say it was a Japanese company. could be wrong, but they were meeting with the studio. They were, they were going to buy this movie studio, and they were talking to the executives, and the executives were saying, okay, here's how Hollywood works. We, we're going to make 15 movies this year, you know, and the movies are going to cost millions and millions of dollars. We're going to make 15 movies, and we anticipate – The three of those movies are going to be blockbusters and make a fortune, and we anticipate that another five are going to do okay or or break even or only lose a little bit of money, and then we anticipate that the other seven are going to be bombs. That's kind of how we, we do it, and the obvious question, the investors, again, I believe it was a Japanese company. They said, well, okay. Then here's my question. If if you're gonna make fifteen and three are gonna be a success big blockbusters and make a fortune, and five are gonna kinda of come close to breaking even and the other, you know, seven or eight are gonna lose money, why don't you just make the blockbusters? <laughs> you know, why 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 are you making these movies that are gonna lose money? And of course the answer was because nobody knows anything. They don't know which of those movies for sure are going to be the blockbusters and what are going to be the bombs. They, they just, they just don't know. Nobody knows anything for certain. And that is now apparently true with, with medicine. My, my wife, God bless her. She has been on me relentlessly because believe it or not, she wants me around. And she together with my doctor have been saying, Jeff, you know, once you reach a certain age, you should take a low-dose aspirin pill every day. And, and my, my, my doctor has been saying that as well. It's just the, the idea is that you take one of those little, not even a full aspirin tablet, but, you know, the little tiny um, low-dose aspirin, the little tiny things, 75 to 100 milligrams. That has been what every doctor, every doctor has told people once you hit a certain age, it can help. If you take this little tiny low-dose thing of aspirin, it can help prevent cardiovascular problems. All right? It helped do it. This is every doctor. Everybody's been saying this. And so, you know, my wife went out. She bought one of those, you know, giant things of little low-dose aspirin. And on an almost daily basis, she will ask me, did you take your aspirin today? Because, like I say, she wants me around. I appreciate the sentiment. All right. Well, just like... Things change from time to time. Remember, for the longest time, we were told, don't eat eggs. And then we were said, oh no, actually eggs are good. You can eat eggs. And then we're told, oh, don't eat eggs. And drink wine. Wine is good for, no, no, don't drink wine. No, 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 drink wine. Back and forth. You know, you, you have all this conventional wisdom that changes. One of the things, every doctor, every doctor has been saying, take low dose aspirin. Honest to goodness, I have in my hands a story. Taking Low-dose aspirin every day to prevent a heart attack or stroke is no longer recommended for most older adults, according to guidelines released Sunday. After doctors said for decades that a daily 75 to 100 milligram dose of aspirin could prevent cardiovascular problems, the American College of Cardiovascular Cardiology and the American Heart Association just reversed the idea. Apparently, they do some study that finds that aspirin had no effect on prolonging life in healthy elderly people and actually suggested that the pills could be linked to to major hemorrhages. (laughs) So now, after being told, take one of these things, for decades, now we're being told, never mind. Huh. So what's somebody supposed to do? I guess, just like in Hollywood, where the truth is nobody knows anything medicine it sure seems like nobody knows anything do you think we will ever hit the time when we get the report saying you know everybody that said that smoking was bad for you well now it turns out that smoking's a health th- no i i mean i doubt that it's going to come to that but whenever i hear this you know don't eat don't drink diet coke or don't do this or don't do that all right what do we don't eat eggs no eat eggs all right don't take aspirin take aspirin nobody apparently knows anything hmm. this is jeff wagner Live
0: from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: So, Eric Bilstead, I hear that there is this mythical city to the west called Las Vegas. And I am told that when you when you visit this mystical, mythical city, Las Vegas, that you can actually, you can bet I actually wager, take coin of the yeah. realm and bet on different things. That's I, I, right. That's I I'm told that that, that that goes on. And, of course, this weekend is one of the really big weekends in Las Vegas because it's the, the start of the NCAA Final yeah. Four. And if you... It's it's very difficult to get a, a hotel room for a reasonable price in Vegas this weekend because everybody comes in for the NCAA's and if you have ever been out there it, it is it is a riot because get the sports books that are packed because there's all these different basketball games going on and you'll have a situation where Duke is playing the little sisters of the poor and Duke is favored by 28 points and they're ahead by 29 and the game is over and you know everybody else is you know turned away except if you're betting <laughs> on this because you know they're ahead by 29 and some kid yep. throws in a. An, an uncontested layup at the buzzer. So they win by 27, which completely changes who wins. And right. people are going nuts. So it's, it is a lot of fun to, to be out there. And matter of fact, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going out there. I know Steve Scafidi is as well. Mm-hmm. We're, um, we're not going together, but we're, we're going out there. My wife and I and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, we're, we're going to go out and just have a little bit of fun. But, but here is my conundrum. All right, I am, everybody knows, I'm a, I'm a Marquette fan, big Marquette fan, season ticket holder and stuff like that. Marquette is playing Murray State. Marquette is a fifth seed. Murray State is a 12th seed. Marquette has lost five of their last six games in the Big East. They've kind of stumbled into it. Murray State has won like 12 in a row, but they're from like a, a smaller right, conference, a small conference and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Murray State has a player that's projected to go like number two or three in the NBA draft. So this, this guy's the whole team. Marquette opened up as a four-point favorite. Now, Marquette is getting no love nationally. I mean, if you if you read a lot of the national stuff, everybody's saying if you're looking to pick an upset in your brackets, pick Murray State to beat Marquette. Marquette right now is a four-point favorite. My guess is that that number is going to drop as, as the week goes on. Um, but but here's the deal. Okay, you're a Marquette fan. Do if, you're, if your head tells you they're not going to cover, do you oh, still man. bet on them?
3: Well, if, say you bet against them and Marquette wins, you still win a little bit, right? Even though you lose some money. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You know how I handle these things? <laughs> you I, don't bet on me? I, I stay away from the game. Right. See, this happens a lot. You have enough entertainment in that
3: game by itself. Well, well right, exactly.
1: Money. I can bet on it. See, th- this happens a lot with the Packers. Um, people... People don't quite understand how the, these spreads get set. Um, what what in, in Las Vegas? What the odds makers want to do is they want to set the point spread at such a point that you get literally the same amount of money spent on either side you know that that's what they want to do because they they make their money on on the the vig you know the the like the little bit of interest that they they charge what what the odds makers don't want that's how the casinos lose money is if 90 percent of the people bet on one team and then all these bettors win they've got to pay it out so what they try to do is they try to set a point spread that's attractive enough that you get people to bet the same amount of money or approximately the same amount on both sides one of the things that happens with the Packers is because the Packers and the Cowboys have such a national following um, people want to bet with their hearts not their heads so they want to go and they, they don't want to watch a game and root against their their team sure. so they go out to Vegas and they'll bet against the they'll bet for the Packers and and because so many people because they just love the Packers want to bet on the Packers the line is always a little bit inflated maybe maybe really it, they should be 4 point favorites but in order to get people to bet on the other side, they've got to make like the Packers six-point favorites, okay. if that makes it's any just, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of how that all works out. So I have been in this mythical city of Las Vegas on multiple occasions, and I've looked at the line, and it's like it's just too much. Now, I'm not I'm not going to bet against the Green Bay Packers. I, I can't sit and watch the game like that with divided loyalties. So what I do is I just stay away from it. It's just kind of like – Eh, it just I don't well,
3: know. I, and I I shouldn't speak for other people who bet on things, but generally it's for entertainment purposes. It makes it fun to watch a game that doesn't matter when you have a little money on it. So for a right. game like Marquette, which is this you know coming Thursday, why right. There's no reason to bet on that game because you're already going to be watching it all going crazy. Right, for it anyway. it, it,
1: right, exactly. And, and you you never want to be in a position of rooting against your team. But I, I will tell you what what I I do I also understand human nature. So let's say I'm out there, I'm sitting in the sports book, and we're watching the Marquette. game game and i have my current plan is to just lay off the game okay. now maybe maybe if the point spread comes down to like like a pick em or something maybe i i'm I want Marquette to win really badly i'm not i don 't feel comfortable putting money on a four point spread if it comes down a little maybe i 'll change my mind but of course the the other thing human nature being human nature, if I watch the game and Marquette blows them out and they win by like fifteen points, I will be kicking <laughs> myself it, it is human nature. I will be oh, yeah. kicking myself all weekend for not betting mm-hmm. on the team that I have season tickets for and i 've watched almost all of their games yep. it 's just it 's one of these no win type of situations. Um, uh, so I, I right now I'm right now I'm leaning on just like you say staying away from the game.
3: Yeah, bet on the Badgers if you need to bet on a Wisconsin team.
1: Okay, well or I'm not, against him, right? You know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, gonna, see if you're a, if, if you're a Marquette fan, you're my. It's funny you should mention that. Okay, my grandson who who's a big Badgers fan. He's 12 years old. He he was sending my wife. You know he he's mocking us for being Marquette fans. He he was throwing shade on the internet. You know Marquette was losing the. Oh, big yeah. We're we're getting. Not nasty, but we're getting like trolling, you know, message text messages from my grandson Cash, you know, because you know Marquette <laughs> is losing. I'm saying, all right, just so this kid understands, you know, <laughs> and I I told his parents that too when I saw him St. Patrick's Day. I said, just so you understand, you know, when when you throw shade, you should be prepared oh, yeah. to get it back. The, well, you, know. you
3: know, that's interesting though because I I find that at least he has an allegiance. Where there's a lot of people in the state that root for both teams, which I find kind of interesting. There are a lot of hardcore Badger. Plus Marquette fans who want both teams to win always and kind of avoid that one game when they play each other. Right.
1: Yeah. See, for me, I mean, I'm a Marquette fan. I don't, I don't root against the Badgers except when they're playing Marquette. Sure. sure. But I mean, no, this, this, tw- I'm getting all the- we're getting shade from this, <laughs> these, you know, from this 12 year old. And it's like, okay, just so you understand, pal, you're drawing the line here and just, you better learn at early age, you know, if you dish it out, you better be right. able you're to take it. You'll All right. Straight. Well, I'll let you know. Ultimately, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. I will let you. I've got a link, as a matter of fact, to the the point spread and to stories that that say that if you're picking your brackets, that that Marquette, Marquette is the one. If you're looking to pick a 12 seed that upsets a five seed, and they have the reasons why. You should pick against Marquette. I'm not encouraging you do it. I'm just saying that that's some of the conventional wisdom. If you want a link to the story, you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. If you happen to be one of those people who actually fills out one of those like bracket things that I hear where people get into these things, I'm called office pools and put in five or ten bucks or or whatever. I'm, I've been told about that. All right. When we come back, very interesting poll numbers out. It's a long time away from the national election. But I want to challenge something that the poll pollsters are finding. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. All right. Here's the there's a new poll out. It's Emerson College and they have polled Wisconsinites. Now, I understand we are all very, very skeptical about polling um and obviously it is a long time between now and the next presidential election. So uh, things are very, very volatile. The campaigns have started, but they really haven't started. So here's, here's what this poll comes out and says. It says among Democratic voters, people who say they're going to vote in the Democratic primary, Bernie Sanders holds a strong lead, 39% of the vote, Joe Biden 24%, Elizabeth Warren, the only other candidate in double digits, is at 14. So Sanders, 39 percent. Biden, 24 percent. Elizabeth Warren, she's got 14 percent. And the rest of them um, are just kind of like rounding errors. Sanders, interestingly enough, um, who is very, very old, Holds a large lead among 18 to 29 year olds with 61% of the vote. We're going to come back to that in the next hour. Warren is second with 15% with voters over the age of 65. Biden leads with 38%. Sanders is in second with 26%. Um, here's the idea. Sanders is, who, who won the Democratic primary in Wisconsin, you know, big time. He's, he's apparently holding on to, to his lead. So Sanders, at least the early favorite, who knows? This is early on. Well, here's the, the interesting thing. They also poll in the Republican primary, and President Trump holds a strong lead over some of the prospective candidates that are out there. Um, interestingly enough, they ask People who voted for President Trump in Wisconsin in 2016, why they did it. 60% say they voted in active support of Trump, while 40% said their vote was more strongly motivated for President because of their opposition to Hillary Clinton. Which, by the way, um, by the way, I I believe um, I believe those numbers are, are probably true. But but here's here's the thing: they do head-to-head matchups. Trump versus prospective Democrat candidates. Biden turns out to be the strongest opponent. His lead over President Trump in Wisconsin, 54 to 46 percent. That is the only matchup that is outside the margin of error. When they say, who would you vote for, Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump? Fifty two percent say Sanders. Forty eight percent say Trump. Elizabeth Warren. Who would you vote for? 52% say Warren, 48% say Trump. Um, A number of the other candidates are all tied with Trump. So one of the takeaways, at least of, of this to me, if you believe this, and again, I understand we're a long way out, is that I would say one of the arguments is in a state that President Trump absolutely has to have, President Trump is surprisingly competitive. Given the fact that you have relentless, relentlessly negative coverage over the course of the last two years, at the end of the day, he's essentially within the margin of error for all the Democrat candidates except Joe Biden. And that's close to the margin of error. Four one four seven nine is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. I want you to look in your crystal balls. We are a year plus, well over a year, year and a half away from the election. Can Donald Trump win Wisconsin again? Now understand what Trump's feat was. 1984 was the last time before 2016 that a Republican carried Wisconsin statewide for president. That was during President Reagan's second term when he was running for reelection for the second term. Ever since then, Wisconsin has been competitive, but Republican candidates came up short. I think the takeaway from this isn't that, that Trump is behind by a little bit, because these polls suggest he's behind by a little bit, but that it's only a little bit. And that, you know, in most cases, it's within the margin of error. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. If, if... Donald Trump is the Republican nominee. I understand that there's some people who are saying there's no way he can win. I don't buy this. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. 414-799-1620 is the number. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: This is not surprising, but it's it's disappointing. Shopko, which um, has been you know, big in the state of Wisconsin, particularly big I mean, it originated in Green Bay in the Appleton area, but but big all over the state. Perhaps less in the Milwaukee area, but I mean, the first the first brick and mortar Shopko store was in Green Bay, going back to 1962. So you're talking 55, 56, 57 years that as has been going on with a lot of brick-and-mortar chain stores, like Bonton, Boston Store, which has now disappeared, Sears, which is largely gone, Kmart's, which are largely gone, um, Shopco experiencing lots of trouble. The company announced they, they went into bankruptcy um, in January, and they, they said we have assets of less than a billion dollars and liabilities between $1 and $10 billion, which is, is is never good what they had announced originally is that they were closing hundreds and hundreds of stores but th- they went into bankruptcy with the idea that they were hoping that they could do a restructuring which would allow them to continue to operate they were hoping to find a new buyer essentially that would come in and and give them some debt relief and would give them enough capital so that they could continue to operate about 250 uh or they they, they were going to closed 250 stores which were about 70% of their locations um they had hoped to be able to maintain come out of bankruptcy and maintain like 120 stores including um stores in in green bay the one in the uh, east town mall in green bay um one in appleton and and again throughout the state they had hoped to try to save these 120 stores and there was going to be an auction well as it turns out they've They've canceled the auction. Nobody stepped up and was willing to pay the amount of money that they thought that, that they would have needed to continue to operate and to pay off the creditors. So um, they've just announced essentially that the brick-and-mortar stores are going to go away. They're, they're going to close, um, and they will be closing over the course of, well, by June 16th. That's the documents which really, you know, isn't that far. So you're talking looking essentially March, April, May, June, you're talking about ninety days. So just like last year we had the Boston store closings, this year we have the Shopko closings. Um it's just one department store chain after another closing. And I I mean I think that there's a lot of factors to that, but I think the candidly this is just another one of the effects of, of the Internet. Um, more and more people just deciding to shop at home and not go out and not patronize the stores. And the problem, of course, is that people, you know, end up, you know, losing their jobs. Now, I understand there might be a lot of other factors that, you know, go into it. Sometimes when you have these closings, what happens is the, the stores overextended themselves or they, they weren't able to modernize or they weren't able to keep up or whatever. But. The bottom line is it's a newly competitive environment and so now you have what was certainly a Wisconsin institution you know shopcos that have been around forever essentially um, they're in bankruptcy and all all the stores are going to be closed by June and that means all those people who worked at all those stores are going to lose their jobs and you just, you have to feel bad for that but you know shopco just like Boston store just like Sears it's uh It's going the way of blockbuster video. Who would have thought? All right. there. One of the big political points that's out there now is the fact that a lot of people believe that there is an unfair economic disparity in this country. By that, I mean people believe that there's too many people that have too much money and not enough people that have enough money. And that the fact that you have billionaires and you have people who are living in poverty, that's just not fair. And that's what kind of fuels this whole socialist, populist, whatever you want to say, revolt that you have here. It's just we need to take money from those people who have it and we need to redistribute it to the people that don't. And that the argument goes, that's how you have a fairer society. One of the ways that's being thrown around to do this, and this is kind of mentioned in that that Green New Deal that they talked about, is the idea of guaranteeing basic income for every person, regardless of their willingness or ability to work, but particularly willingness. The argument being that, okay, let's say you just decide, hey, I don't want to work. You know, I I just i i don't i don't want to work at a low wage job. I I don't care. I'm just going to sit on my butt. That that's how I choose to do things. I don't have the education. I don't have the training. Whatever. I'm never going to make a million dollars. So I'm just I'm just going to sit around. I don't want to do anything. Now, if you're in that category, you already qualify undoubtedly for a lot of different types of benefits that you could get. But the idea that's being thrown around now is this idea of basic. It's called universal basic income and the latest city to take a look at this is newark in new jersey and newark is the largest city i guess it's the um, largest city in new jersey the mayor of newark says you know here's what i want to do i want to embark on this program here's what he says we believe in universal basic income especially in a time when studies have shown that families that have a crisis of just $400 a month may experience a setback that may be difficult, even impossible to recover from. So the idea would be what we want to do is we want to guarantee a basic income of $1,000 for each adult that is in the program. So a guaranteed income of 1000 bucks. Now, this would provide the government giving $12,000 a year to each adult American. It's, it's only adults, but presumably then you and your spouse, assuming you're both adults, you and your spouse would each get $1,000 a month. So that would be a guarantee of $24,000 a year that the government would give you. You know, if you were low income, 414 799 1620. That's the AccUnit Mortgage talk and text line. You don't have to work. As a matter of fact, I mean, there's going to be some sort of swarm of cutoff. So if you work, and you start to make more than a certain threshold, you're you're gonna lose that thousand dollars. But if you do absolutely nothing, you are guaranteed at least a thousand dollars a month, or in the case of people who are married, you're guaranteed at least two thousand dollars a month by the government. Is this a good idea? four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, that is the ACUNET Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And what are, we talk sometimes about unintended consequences. I mean, on the one hand, I guess you can argue, well, of course, how could you be so cruel as to not deny people, to deny people like the basic funds to allow them to live? All right. Is it that simple? Universal basic income, $1,000 a month. Should every American adult get that from the government? 414 We discuss in just a moment. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us, Linda in Cedarburg. Linda, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, so the idea is Newark says a thousand bucks to every adult citizen. So if you're married, that's twenty four grand a year. It's the least we can do to make sure people have the enough money to have the basic essentials of life.
2: I just. I just—it just seems that you know, the more you give, the more people take, the less they are inspired to work or you know to better themselves. It's just—it's just another handout where everybody else is working super hard or, or bearing the brunt of things. It—it—it it, just—it just amazes me. You work really hard, and then more money is disappearing, and and hmm. it, it's, it's, there's no direction. There's no there's no desire to try and.
1: Well, well, yeah, I mean, and, and this, I mean, and this is a clear one. So let's say that you are in a position where your choice is, do I work at an entry level job? that, you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to make 15 or 16 grand a year at, or do I sit on my butt and watch TV and make $12,000? Well, I, I I mean, it's not too hard a call. Can you, I mean, you want to talk about a disincentive to not work and to not try to better yourself. I can't think of a better example of one.
2: You said it exactly. There's no, there's no trying to strive to make yourself better, to try new things or get a better job. It's just, it's, like stagnant, they're just stagnant. That's it, they're just, it's status quo, it's stagnant, they're happy to be where they're at. Right. There's no incentive to better yourself right. or, or to strive to be educated or, or to just do right. extra hours or do something more. It's just dead.
1: Right, and you, I mean, th- thanks for calling, right. What, what you're doing, and, and this is just like a throwback to the old welfare systems, the, the failed systems of just the welfare payments. You trap generations of people in poverty because there's no incentive at all to try to to get out of poverty the idea is well all right i i just well, why bother going to school unless i can figure out a way to make substantially more than this here i'm just going to kind of limp along now if somebody's texting me saying well you you don't get it i mean here if there's a business owner you give somebody twelve thousand dollars and they're going to turn around and they're going to spend it on on businesses this is going to be great for businesses okay well i guess here would be the question and the response to that. Where do you think this money is going to come from? I mean, I I swear, I think there are some folks out there that believe that there's just this kind of, like, giant money tree that grows in in parks in in different cities, and all you have to do is you have to go down and you kind of, like, shake that money tree, and here, okay, we want to send $1,000 a month to every adult below a certain income level. Here, let's just shake that money tree. Oh, here it is. Now we'll just take it to the bank and we'll write checks. No, the, the money... The, the money that you send out in a proposal, in a program, that has to come from somewhere. So where is that going to come from? Well, yeah, it's going to come from the pack taxpayers. It's going to come from you know, the business owners. They're going to be the ones who are having to pay for this. And again, the big picture and the big public policy picture is it might sound good. It might sound welcoming. It might sound kind and compassionate. But the truth of the matter is you are creating a huge Disincentive to work. Here's a text, Jeff. Where does this stop? We already have food stamps, rent assistance, heat assistance, child care assistance, free health care if you have nothing. It's utter nonsense. Maybe we could get rid of every other social program and then we can talk. Well, no, this is in addition this is in addition to all these other different social programs that are out there another text Jeff this is a this is a disincentive to actually do something productive let's add another handout and then create another uh, generation of entitlement minded people oh that already exists let's talk to Tom in Greenfield Tom you're on WTMJ
0: yeah Jeff I think I have to agree with you I think we've had these programs you know well for a week and all these other programs that you've mentioned and stuff and that and what, what it's going to make to the to the to bring to the extent that we're not going to even want to go to have mm. universities and everything else or we're we just going to have a just a bunch of people that are going to have two classes of mm. classifications the rich and uh not mm. not working people at all don't want mm. to work don't want to do nothing don't want to do it you know and we're going to it's right. going to go that way. I, I mean, yeah, they, it's, it's it's been going that way for the last several generations already. But I mean, uh, you call it different things that like you have, but. Why, why should we uh, do that? Why should
1: well, we do Right. It's just bad. I mean, Tom, thanks. I mean, it's just bad policy. I mean, I, I think if you want to look back at, at one of the successes, and I am old enough to remember when Tommy Thompson was the governor of the state of Wisconsin, the whole idea was, look, we don't want Wisconsin to be a welfare magnet. We don't want to create incentives for people to come and sit around and be on the dole. You know, we want people to work. We want to give people a, a ticket out of poverty. And let's face it. How do you get out of poverty? What's the best way to do it? Well, you know, first of all, you get a job and you work your way up the ladder. Or secondly, you get an education that gives you skills so that you're able to, to do that. Well, th- this is you know, runs completely counter to both of those things. And the flip side is it has to be paid for somehow. I mean, there isn't that giant money tree that you end up taking. Here is the best argument. And I understand this will be lost on the people that just believe that there is a free lunch. But this is the best example. Other countries have tried this. They they have. Finland. Okay, you know, Finland, supposedly a socialist haven. Finland tested this program in 2017. And what they did is they took 2,000 unemployed Finnish citizens each month, people who weren't working at the time, and they gave them about 600 bucks. That was the deal. We're going to give them 600 bucks per month. No requirement at all that you find a paying job. All right, just we're giving you 600 bucks a month. You don't have to do anything for it. Here, just take it. All right. Finland, that program lasted about a year and a half. And this year, earlier this year, Finland scrapped the program entirely, just said it was not sustainable. All right. Last summer, Ontario, Canada. I have been to Ontario, Canada, announced that they have this program. And what they were going to do is they had this program where they were, again, giving money to people in low paying jobs instead of welfare benefits. They scrapped that program because, wait for it, they found it was not sustainable and it was unduly expensive. Yeah, look, nobody, I think, would argue with the idea that those of uh, those who are the least fortunate in our society deserve that safety net. You know, we, we, we want to make sure that you have the wherewithal so that you can get food. And we want to make sure that you have the child care assistance if you're trying to better yourself. And we'll give you heat assistance so you don't freeze in the winter and things like that. But this idea that, that we're going to create a permanent welfare system where you're just going to be on the dole and not only do you not have to do anything but you don't even have to pretend to do anything but because we're compassionate we're just going to give you money that doesn't work in societies matter of fact even for the people that don't like that that don't like the capitalist system and want to push for socialism that's one of the things that brings down socialism because people figure out hey if i don't have to work If my life isn't going to be appreciably better by working, well, then I'm going to sit around and I'm going to watch TV all day. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex
0: Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: So very glad to have you with us. Is age simply a number? Now, there's some some certain situations where, I don't know, you you need a certain age to have a degree of maturity. I understand that there's a movement afoot now. Some people think that the voting age should be lowered to 16. I think that's crazy with a capital C, because I don't think at the age of 16 you've got the maturity to cast votes. It's why we have a level of adulthood. We say, okay, you need to be 18 to get married. You need to be 18 to serve in the military. You need to be 18 to sign contracts. To me, I I think that makes sense. And we do talk about the upper levels as well. Over the years, I have discussed and still continue to get hostile emails from time to time how how I believe – That at some point in time when it comes to renewing your driver's license, I think it is perfectly reasonable to maybe do extra road tests or maybe extra vision tests or or things of like in Wisconsin, you can go into the DMV. You can pass your vision test, which is a pretty cursory type of thing, and then you can effectively keep your driver's license for eight years unless you're involved in some accident or gives, or you give somebody a, a reason to take it away from you because you demonstrate that you're not capable of having it. But that means that, hey, you know, at the age of 77, you can get your driver's license renewed and it's going to be good till you're 85. I, I've always thought that doesn't make sense, and I'm not saying people who are 85 shouldn't be able to drive, far from it, but I am saying that... The the reality of aging is that we your some of your skills atrophy you'd i I don't see as well now as I did when I was you know in in law school in my early 20s that's just the reality my reflexes aren't quite as good as they were again you know when I was you know in my 20s that's a reality and my guess is if I'm fortunate to live another 20 years my eyesight's not going to be as good 20 years from now as it is today that's just kind of the reality so that's why I've always argued like extra tests might be appropriate well, when it comes to leadership, my question to you is, does age matter? So here's here's the deal, um, President Trump, if he is reelected on Inauguration Day, that would be in January of 2021, he would be 74, right? Let's look at some of the other candidates. If Elizabeth Warren were to be elected president, on Inauguration Day in 2021, she would be 73 years old. Right? Um, if Bernie Sanders were to be elected president on Inauguration Day, you want to guess how old he would be, Grew? 79. He would be 79. Um, Joe Biden, if Joe Biden were elected president, he would be 78. Now, to give you some perspective, as long as we're talking about age, I'm old enough to remember when Ronald Reagan was elected president. When Reagan was elected president the first time in 1980, and by the way, back in 1980, this was an issue. Was he too old to be president? He was 69 years old when he was elected president in in inauguration day in 1981, when he was inaugurated for the second time, he was 73 years old. So when Reagan was starting his, seven, his second term, he was 73 years old. If Joe Biden were elected president, he would be starting his first term at 78 years old. Uh, Bernie Sanders would be starting his first term at the age of 79. 414 that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is age simply a number? Or, or d- does age, does age matter? Is there a point in time where you'd like to see the reins of leadership being turned over to a younger generation? Or, or doesn't it matter? 4147991620 that's the Acumen Mortgage Talk and Text line does the age of some of these potential candidates and I I'm, I'm going to throw Donald Trump in there like I say he'd be 74 Elizabeth Warren would be 73 Biden would be 78 Bernie Sanders would be 79 I, is this is this just well Jeff even by raising this question you know you're discriminating against people on the basis of age well I not not really But at the same time, you're talking about somebody to be the leader of the free world. And you're also, quite candidly, when you're talking about somebody who's in their upper 70s, to be sure, you are talking about people of a decidedly different generation than the vast majority of the electorate. Does age matter? Is age something that you would consider in voting? And one of the reasons that there's a story in the New York Times that this, you know, you know, You had Beto O'Rourke, who was at this thing in, he's 46, um, so he would be 48 if he were to be elected president. He was at this coffee shop in Iowa, and the New York Times story starts out, it quotes some 70-year-old woman, Diana Martinez, looked at Beto O'Rourke, 46, and made her choice. She says, it's time for Generation X to fix this country. Doesn't he remind you of Kennedy, Ms. Martinez said, as O'Rourke offered handshakes and music recommendations to a courthouse crowd? He's young. He's young. That's what we need nowadays. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is age or will age be a voting issue for you? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ.
1: Glad to have you with us. Look, I want to be honest with you. I don't care about Republican, Democrat. There is a certain point in time where, if you have a political candidate, and I don't care whether it's president or senator, senator or mayor. I think there comes a time when, when everybody should just kind of step down and and retire. And it's going to vary from different people. But I want to be honest with you. I have, I had some issues even back in 1984 when Ronald Reagan was running for his second term and he was going to be 73. All right. He's going to be 73. I have issues. And this is from somebody who's a lot older than I was in 1984 with electing somebody who's 78 or 79 years old. Um, I I just do because there's a time I don't care how vibrant you are. I don't care how young you are. There is a time when age starts to catch up with you. That is just the reality. And am I saying that there needs to be a constitutional amendment to put an upper limit on on age? No, but I would have I would have concerns about electing people to high-stress jobs, and I can't imagine a higher-stress job than being the president of the United States. Above a certain age, not saying that you need a law that says you can't do it, but I'm just talking about personally. Would you have hesitancy voting for somebody who was in their upper 70s or 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 knowing you elect Bernie Sanders? first term, he's 79 at inauguration. That means at the end of his first term, he's going to be over 83 years old. Four one four right, let's go to the text line. Any candidate in their mid-70s or older is too old for me. By the way, I'm 65 years old. Sam says Democrats had a field day with Reagan's age, uh, claiming he's always dozing off. We'll see this time. Well, that's it. Um, another text. In Biden's case, age matters because you can see him sitting there Sleeping When Obama is giving his speeches. Well, I, I don't know if that's age or whatever. Here's another text. Jeff, I'm 28. I trust older politicians more because I feel like they have more knowledge. Um, I, I also I, I feel they are more out of touch with the younger generation. So it's kind of a catch 22. I would like my president to be in the 50s to 60s range. That way, I know they're not going to die from the stress, but they also have enough knowledge and experience to make the best decisions. Well, there's that factor as well. Andy and Waukesha writes, Jeff, I agree with you. I think once you hit your upper 70s, it's about time. I wish the Supreme Court had the same thought process. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is an example. She can't even stay awake during the arguments. I I. Look, if you had, and I, I don't know where that age factor comes in, because I understand that some people are extremely vibrant into their their 70s and even 80s. But you're not talking about a normal sort of job. You know, we're talking about something that is an incredibly stressful job where you're making all these these incredible decisions. And I, I understand all sorts of people are different. Ronald Reagan is probably the only president in my lifetime that pretty much looked the same when he took office as as when he left office. You look at almost Every other person who served as the president, the before and the after things, this is a job that ages them. It aged Barack Obama, it aged Bill Clinton, it aged George Bush. It, it's just the nature of the job and the nature of the business. And while I respect you know people who and I'm who are in their 70s and stuff or in their 80s, I think it, it's a huge factor because your body just physically starts slowing down. So yes, now, in this particular case, you know, it's probably the leading Democrat candidates who are all going to be pushing 80 if they were elected. Yeah, I have an issue with that. Um Donald Trump, Elizabeth Warren, you know, they're going to be in their mid-70s. I have a bit of an issue with that as well. Would it necessarily be disqualifying? Perhaps no, but I think it is a concern. And I guess the question is going to be, are we going to see a generational shift this election? You saw it with Barack Obama where people said, okay, this is the hope and change guy. He's the young guy. He's going to be the, the visionary, kind of flip back with President Trump. We'll see where it goes. But at the same time, yeah, I I mean, at the risk of being labeled ageist, which I really am not, yeah, I have have an issue. I think there's this point in time where, you know, maybe it's time to just turn the mantle over to the younger generation. And definitely when you're pushing 80, I think that's kind of the point. Enjoy. Enjoy life. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: We're back. So glad to have you with us, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. I ask you this question periodically: How much? Not that I'm planning to roll you, but how much money do you have? How much cash do you have in your person? You have no cash at all. You left the house with no cash at all. You're shaking your shaking your head. Yes, no cash at all. The other day when I asked you that, you had a dollar in your wallet, right? You had a buck. You spent the dollar. All right, so you have no cash at all. All right, we have that established, and that is kind of your pattern, correct? Have you ever carried? A, have you ever had a hundred dollar bill? Have you, ever, have you ever carried a hundred dollar bill? Rarely, maybe a handful of times in your life, but but rarely. All right, I bring. There's a purpose to behind asking this question. Okay, here is here is the deal. I'm looking at the most recent numbers about this, and we've talked about. You know, variations of this. But the the estimates are, and the most recent survey is a 2017 study from the Federal Reserve Bank in Atlanta. All right? It says that 30% of Americans use no cash at all on a weekly basis. I mean, it's not that they don't buy things, but they, like my producer, Um, use all use no cash you know for for purpose purchases ranging from grocery store purchases to gasoline to i'm i'm gonna you know buy the the cup of coffee on the way into work or whatever big or small they use nothing but credit cards so you know and we've talked about that there is a percentage and the estimate is it's about 30 percent. now i i'm not that guy i i just don't and but i appreciate the value of credit cards as i said a couple weeks ago and i said I'm, i'm one of those people that that uh, Clark Howard would describe as the freeloader. I do use credit cards. I mean, if I'm going in and buying two dollars and fifty cents for coffee, I'm paying cash for it. But I mean, I, I use credit cards from time to time, and I I understand you get the you get the points back, and ultimately you redeem the points. So I do use credit cards, and I'm a freeloader because I I don't remember the last time I paid any interest. I mean, I get the bill. I pay it off. So I'm one of these guys that say, okay, the, the credit card company is going to give me an interest free loan. Now the credit card is still company still makes money because the merchant I buy stuff from pays the money. They sell the information about what I'm buying to places. So they're still making money. So I'm not feeling too bad. But but that's how I operate. I still use use cash. Here is the interesting thing though. There are The most commonly used, for those people who still use cash, the most common denominations are the dollar bill, the $5 bill, the $10 bill, and the $20 bill. There are, the average American, according to, again, the most recent study I have, the average American carries about $60 in cash. That's the average American, and that's understanding that 30% of people carry no cash at all. One of the things that the Treasury Department is looking at doing is getting rid of the $100 bill. And the argument for this is, look, we're moving away from, we're, we're going more towards a cashless society. $100 bills, while convenient for some people, most people don't carry $100 bills. Most people don't use $100 bills. Um, sometimes they're a pain in the butt for like merchants to have to cash $100 dollar bills and what they're finding a lot of times is a100 dollar bills they tend to fuel some of like the, the you know the, the dark empires you know drug dealers drug dealers might use hundred dollar bills money launderers use hundred dollar bills and the purpose the point I guess is is there a purpose and is there a reason to continue to carry hundred dollar bills now I do carry hundred dollar bills from time to time. Um, I'm going to Vegas, as I said, at the end of the week, and I will bring $100 bills with me because it's just easier to have that than a bunch of 20s. But I am intrigued with this whole notion of have have $100 bills kind of outlived their usefulness. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If the Treasury were simply to stop producing new $100 bills, or to start to pull $100 bills out of circulation, would you miss them? Is there any reason to continue producing $100 bills? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And given the fact that, I mean, you do have this underground economy nowadays where, all right, there's some people that still try to do things that end up, you know, not catching the attention of authorities or things like that. The argument could be $100 bills makes it easier to do that. So let's tee this up. If we were to do away with $100 bills, would you miss them? Does it make sense to do that? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there still a purpose in today's increasingly cashless society $400 bills. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let me give crew a chance to line up the calls. We are back with those in just a minute. I have actually a very strong take on this. But 414 we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Jesse in Green Bay sends me a text. Says, Jeff, we like to swirl away money in our safety deposit box. $100 bills give us more room. Yeah, that it does. Um, interestingly enough, if you were, for example, if you were to take the hundred dollar bills, I've got the conversion right here, and, you know, you were to stack them up, what you find is that, um, well, obviously the hundred dollar bills, um, are ones that a lot easier a lot easier to take, a lot easier to work with than if you're trying to amass large amounts of money in, say, 20s. Judy in New Berlin. Judy, you're on WTMJ.
4: Oh, hi, Jeff. Hi, yeah, Judy. This is Judy. Hi. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm driving to work and I work at a restaurant. I just told uh, your gentleman mm-hmm. that answered the phone that, and I was listening to your recording now, that uh, I think it's a lot easier to count a $100 bill than a whole fistful of 20s. Right. And uh, where I work is fine dining, so we get a a lot of our gratuities are on charges right so the next day our employer does not put them on a check for us we get them in an envelope with our name on it right and uh so we get i get a lot of hundred dollar bills okay (laughs) Okay. (laughs) and so i was gonna kid and say i get a whole shoebox full but i really don't but i mean it's a lot to me it's a lot easier and uh
1: you do know. you have trouble negotiating the hundred dollar bills? So you got to you. So at the end of the week or whatever, you have however many hundred dollar bills you have. Do you do you have do you deposit them in your bank account or do you use yeah. them to buy? Okay, so you just take them to the bank.
4: I take them to the bank. Yeah, I t- deposit them in my checking account. Yeah, right. And uh, but I just find it a lot easier than taking four hundred dollars for the twenties and tens and fives to oh, the sure. bank.
1: Oh no no absolutely okay no thank you no no it it makes sense it is definitely it is definitely more convenient now here's the story I'm looking at here's one of the interesting things the the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago estimates that right now there's about twelve b as in billion hundred dollar bills in circulation they they estimate that eighty percent of those that would be the vast majority they're not in the country that the vast majority of those are outside the country. And one of the reasons they say that is is because the dollar is more stable than in some of these foreign countries. So you have people that are buying. They're they're just – they figure that who who knows if whatever country they're in, what – what the particular unit of currency might be worth or whatever. I mean, if you were in Venezuela right now, would you rather have your wealth in whatever Venezuela's currency is or dollars? Well, you'd want to have it in dollars. No question about it. Four one four 799 Let's see. Uh, let's go to our text here. Yes, I would miss $100 bills. I am extreme, Jeff. I use credit cards and cash. I carry $1,000 in cash on me at all times. I'm a trucking owner operator. I have a Texas Hold'em habit. It's a great feeling counting $100 bills. Yes, I would miss them. Take a step further and bring back the $500 bill or the $1,000 bill. No, I don't think... I don't think that that's going to be happening. Here's another one. Jeff, sure, stop making $100 bills. I'll use 50s. While they're at it, stop making pennies. Why on earth do they make pennies? Yeah, it's Hazemel. I wanted to take a good amount of cash with me. It would have been extremely inconvenient to take a stack of 20s to get that amount of cash that I wanted to take. The only downside is finding places to cash the $100 bills once you're there. Okay, here here is my take on this. And I I admit that I might be kind of a dinosaur in this. Um be, because I do carry, I do carry from time to time, not always, but I'll use $100 bills occasionally. Like I say I'm going to Vegas at the end of the week, I I will take I will take $100 bills because it's easier to have $100 bills than it is to carry 20s or 10s or or 50s. That's it's just easier to carry that. Um but you know, if unless you're going to engage in legalized gambling, I I do concede that there's not that many people that use $100 bills anymore. There's just not, you know, maybe you do it as, uh, I don't know, in, in certain financial transactions, I guess, if you're buying a car in the secondary market, you know, what you might do is you might have $100 bills. I mean, if I'm, if I'm selling a car, I'm going to want the person to either have a certified check or a cashier's check or preferably cash because I'm, I'm not taking personal checks or things like that. I think there there's a value to it, and I will tell you this. If you did away with the $100 bill, would it inconvenience me? Yes, it would inconvenience me. So I'd hate to see that happen on a personal level. At the same time, trying to look at this from a big-picture perspective – If you were to do away with the $100 bill, the reality is, who would that hurt the most? Well, yes, it would inconvenience our caller, Judy. And yes, it would inconvenience our trucking owner who likes to play Texas Hold'em. And yes, it would inconvenience me. It would. At the same time, my guess is the vast majority of these $100 bills that are out there, they're, they're squirreled away. Not from savings purposes, like our one emailer, one texter was talking about, because they want to put some money in a safety deposit box. I'm sure there's some of that, but my guess is the vast majority of hundred dollar bills that are in circulation, but not in circulation. By that I mean, yes, they're out there, but they're they're stuck under people's mattresses or whatever. My guess is that they're there um, because people are trying to figure out ways to get them into circulation. Um, without having to explain how they ended up getting that money. I don't mean to be too cynical about this, but if you were, for example, to say tomorrow, we're not going to do away with $100 bills, but we're going to get away from greenbacks. So we're going to still make $100 bills, but... The greenback, kind of like what the army used to do or the military would do in war zones, where they would change the, the script every once in a while. You know, they they'd pay you not in greenbacks, but they'd pay you in script. And after a while, they change that over. They say, okay, everybody that has the old kind of uh, kind of currency, what you have you have you know two weeks to change it in to get the new kind of currency. If you were to say we're going to do away with the hundred dollar bill, the greenback, and we're going to come out with Red hundred dollar bills are going to look completely different. And you've got 90 days to turn them in. You know who would be hurt most by whoever did that? It would be it would be the drug dealers. It would be the money launderers. It would be the people who have amassed large amounts of money generally speaking in twenty dollar bills that are sitting in shoeboxes or are hidden under mattresses or in safes in drug houses or safe houses or things like that, as the bad guys try to figure out ways to get this stuff into currency. If you were to say, hey, ninety days from now, these greenbacks, they're not going to be good any longer. You know, you have X amount of time to be able to, you know, get them into currency. If you were to do that, um I think as a matter of fact, that's if somebody were to actually come out and seriously suggest that, I think it's something, an idea that I might be able to get behind. Not say we're not doing we're doing away with hundred dollar bills but we're not, but you know, we're gonna give you four months, whatever, six months to change these in. Look at all the scrambling that you would have from people who now have all this money, who's trying to explain. And again, I understand there's a good percentage of people that have acquired it legally. My guess is a good chunk of those folks, though, that have big stashes of $100 bills, they're They're going to have trouble, perhaps, explaining where they came up with it. You really want to hit drug dealers. You go after their money, and this might be a way to do it. Hey, before we bring in John and Melissa and Greg, I I did want to comment on a breaking news story from earlier today. There's been a lot of speculation over the last couple months about, you know, what's going on with Foxconn. Foxconn originally sold on the idea that it's going to create twelve, thirteen thousand 13,000 jobs in Mount Pleasant, and you're going to have this huge spillover effect, and you're going to have all these other companies um i I think as originally proposed foxconn could have been and would have been transformative there's some people who have been skeptical about foxconn all the time given their their history and dealings with you know other other states well there's been questions over the last couple months primarily since the election about you know what's going on with foxconn do they really intend to go ahead and build the plant Um, right now the announcement today is foxconn says all right, we are going ahead with our plant. We are committed to breaking ground by this summer on a plant that's going to do LCD screen fabrication in Mount Pleasant. Um, We think the plant's going to exceed 1 million square feet of building um, space, and it's going to be 1,500 jobs. Now, 1,500 jobs is a far cry from 13,000 jobs, but my belief is... Once Foxconn gets here, gets started, I think the plant has, you know, nothing to will do nothing but grow. So I understand there's some people that are disappointed with the fit, with the pace of this. I understand that there's some people are going to be looking at this saying, well, you know, again, it's 1500, you know, what happened to the other 10,000 jobs? I don't know if we're ever going to get to 12 or 13,000 jobs, but I think 1500 is a good start and especially given all the controversy and questions, was Fox gonna, Con going to bail on Wisconsin to begin with? I think today's news is very good news. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds. Stick around.